everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we will be discussing Lee Bardugo's novels Ninth House and Hellbent. Warning, spoilers ahead. All right. So I have been meaning to ask you, we record on Sundays, and on Sundays after we record, I always go and watch the newest episode of The Last of Us, which has just started being released on HBO Max. And I've been meaning to ask how you like it, but whenever I'm thinking about it is like Sunday night. And Mm -hmm. so I don't want to like spoil anything for you because I know you wait until Monday to watch it with Will. Yeah. And since you were sick last week, I Mm. was like fully ready to talk to you about like the first episode since we record before they air. Mm -hmm. And then you were sick, so we didn't get to talk about that. So now two episodes have gone by and we haven't spoken (laughs) about it yet. And it was like both one of our like very, very top anticipated things Mm -hmm. for this year. So I'm really liking it a lot so far. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? I think it's really, really great. I know that you've watched like a playthrough of the game, correct? I've watched people play the first one. I haven't watched people or a playthrough of the second one. So I I only know the first one. You would really like the second one. But one thing that I've noticed is that that's different from other video game adaptations that I've seen is that they're really taking the gameplay itself into account in like the blocking and choreography of the scenes. Mm -hmm. So like anybody who's held the controller and like tried to do the fighting scenes knows that like, it's really, really stressful to like have to reload your gun. And there's like this iconic scene of Pedro Pascal, his character, Joel, trying to very quietly reload his gun. um, In the museum. In the museum. Yeah. Yeah. And I had my, like, hands in my hair. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. I'm obsessed with how they are incorporating gameplay into the choreography of the scenes. It's beautiful, and it feels so reminiscent of the game, not even just, like, in the landscape and the props and set. Like, it feels so reminiscent in just, like, how the characters are moving through the spaces. Mm-hmm. And I I just love it. It's fantastic. Yeah. I really like it. I agree. From what I remember, like, I haven't watched it since it, like, came out mm-hmm. originally. So it's been several years. Yeah. Since the first game came out. 2013. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was living in Pittsburgh. Wow. So it had to have been uh, by then. Yeah. That's fair. So I haven't seen it since then. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, like I, re- I remember all like the main beats and mm-hmm. everything. But what I'm really loving so far, there's just been two episodes out, but I love the cold opens that mm-hmm. Craig Mazin has appended to the openings of each episode so far. So in the first episode, it's this discussion on like a talk show mm-hmm. in the 70s or 60s um, discussing, you know, like a fungus-based pandemic situation, which was chilling and awesome, and I fucking loved it. It made it very grim, uh, 
tone from the start. I loved that. And in the second episode, the cold open is uh, this fungus expert being kind of taken off the street by the military in Indonesia, I want to say, and taken to a facility where she has to evaluate, you know, someone who's afflicted with the cordyceps virus. And she tells the military personnel, the guy in charge, that he should, like, bomb the city and everyone in it immediately. And that was fucking incredible. So I love those extra things Mm -hmm. that Craig Mazin is adding to the, like, really faithful gameplay elements in order to bring, like, a real-world gravity to it Mm -hmm. and fill in more of those gaps about how just crushing and chilling and massive these events hypothetically would have felt like at the time of the outbreak. So I think he's been doing a really good job with that. And I think it's, it's been extremely promising so far. Yeah. I really enjoyed Anna Torv's performance as Tess. I thought she was really fantastic. It's such a shame that she doesn't get very much screen time in the whole scheme of things, but ah, mm-hmm. oh, man, I just love her. I love yeah. her from Fringe. Remember when the cordyceps guy puts his like fungus feelers in her mouth? Oh yeah, <laughs> that was unsettling to say yeah. the least. Um, I thought it was an interesting choice for sure. Yeah. From the directors. I mean, I didn't dislike it. I know that a lot of people felt really strongly about it. Oh, but really? I just thought it was, like, an interesting way to play with, like, already being infected and how they would treat you. Yeah. In that I just moment. thought it was gross and weird, so. I it was it. gross and weird. <laughs> so you liked it? Sorry, I was like, yeah, say? make it fucking weird. <laughs> I liked it. I, I like all of the, like, weird gross shit in their mouths though well yeah because it looks like those parasitic fungus guys that come out of like praying mantises and stuff you know oh it's so gross oh it's great i'm a big fan of the show and i think that pretty much everyone feels very strongly about it and like very positively about it as far as i've heard yeah Um, me too i thought it was a really interesting choice that Craig Mazin has been heading the project. Mm -hmm. Interesting in a good way, because I know his work writing Chernobyl, the HBO miniseries, was very lauded. And um, I feel really guilty that I still haven't watched Chernobyl, because I know it's across the board. Like, everyone agrees it's incredible stuff. Mm -hmm. And I started it, back in 2019 and found it profoundly upsetting Mm -hmm. because it's real, you know, like it's about a real event with real people that were affected. Mm -hmm. And that viewing experience for me is extremely different than watching fiction. And I just found it so uncomfortable. I couldn't, I don't think... I don't think I even finished the first episode. And so I'm trying to go back now and re-tackle it. I know it's only five episodes and it should be doable. Oh my God. But wow. I've, 
I watched the first episode um, yesterday or the day before. The day before. Mm -hmm. And it was just as hard to watch. So not a show for Kat. (laughs) Probably not. If it's a tough watch for me, that's saying something. It's deeply unsettling. Mm -hmm. It is scary. It is Mm. scary to watch and so unnerving. Mm -hmm. And I had to deliberately watch soothing things afterwards. I was like, I, I, cause normally I can watch something really Uh upsetting and terrible and be like, okay, I'm done thinking about it. Uh (laughs) But for this one, I needed, I needed to emotionally recuperate. Yeah. So I watched like licorice pizza and phantom thread and Uh then I felt restored. PTA. Good old PTA. (laughs) (laughs) This makes me think of a conversation I was having last weekend or this past weekend um, with one of my coworkers who was helping me like organize all of the events. And we found out that we're very similar people with very similar like film and uh, television tastes. But it was really funny because he was talking about – we were talking about the bear and how much he loved the bear. Yeah. But he was saying that he has to, like, screen media for his fiance because she's very, like, sensitive to different, like, media. And I was like, it's just like what Remy does for me. Yeah. (laughs) And then if if it's deemed acceptable, then – and not – absolutely traumatizing then remy will recommend it to me (laughs) yeah you should tell them to listen to the pod Mm, i did tell one person about the pod this weekend um it was not him but because i don't know him well enough but they it was so cute they like pulled out a little notebook and like wrote down the name of the podcast and made sure (laughs) that they had it spelled right so they could look it up later it was so precious whoa so if you're listening to this thank you for listening to the podcast I appreciate you. <laughs> but I was immediately like, you don't have to listen. Because we were just talking about, like, what we would do if we weren't, uh, like, scientists. Yeah, and the age-old <laughs> discussion topic. Yeah, my favorite icebreaker for yeah. <laughs> trying to get people to be scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I don't know. I might just leave this world altogether and go edit podcasts for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might just fucking die. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't podcast if I was dead. leave this world altogether. No, just I meant hit the, up the world astral of science. <laughs> You'd have to do a seance each week to get my takes. <laughs> um, imagine how popular our podcast would be if it was between me and a fucking ghost. One girl, one ghost. <laughs> a film podcast. It's all. What are those recordings called? The EVPs. It's all me and EVPs. <laughs> Just me and my EVPs. Oh, that, that would it. also be a good name. Yes, I love that. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not planning on leaving this world anytime soon. <laughs> I thought of a good segue into our, our content for the day, but yeah, I'm not sure if we're ready. Of. But yeah, so we're doing a ostensibly normie up today where we'll be talking about Ninth House and Hellbent but it'll be kind of um, a little less structured as we normally would do because we'll be kind of hopping in and talking to each other throughout because we have both read both of these novels and will likely have things to say about both of them. So, 
Yeah. It'll be a little different. They're from the same series, so that overlap is going to be pretty obvious. All the same characters. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, I'm really excited. I know. Um, So yeah, I'll kick things off by talking about Ninth House, which is the first book in the Alex Stern series. This book, written by Lee Bardugo, was published in 2019, and it's basically a dark academia fantasy horror novel that is set at Yale University, and it imagines a world where all of the Yale secret societies actually practice magic in private. And because there's eight of those secret societies or eight houses, this necessitates a ninth house, which is something of a regulatory body. In this world of the story, it's called Lethe House. And uh, like I said, it's like a regulatory body that keeps all of those secret societies in check so that these um, magic ceremonies and those sorts of things that they're carrying out to prevent them from exploiting or hurting people outside of this um, like magic circle. And our main character, Alex Stern, she gets recruited to be a part of Lethe and, you know, attend Yale University in order to be a part of Lethe because she has the ability to see ghosts just in her day-to-day waking life and in the world of the story that is a very very rare ability um but the the ghosts in New Haven where Yale is located play a big role in the story and they play a big role in the regulatory work that Lethe does so this ability that Alex has makes her a very very valuable asset to Lethe And it kind of underscores um, how valuable that skill is because Alex is not like Gale material, Mm -hmm. as people in the book would call it. She comes from a really rough background where she's been taken advantage of by a lot of people over the course of her life, and she has used drugs as a means for escaping the emotional toll of seeing and interacting with ghosts for her entire life. So she has something of a sordid past that was punctuated with a a big act of violence right before she was recruited to go to Yale. And so we kind of are introduced to the world of Yale and the secret societies through Alex's eyes as a new recruit and a new freshman. The overall tone of Ninth House is dark, and the form that the story takes is basically, you know, following Alex as ostensibly an outsider to this Ivy League, well-to-do type world, and watching her try to you know, do her best in the role as the new uh, member of Lethe and being trained to 
carry out that role. But also the main thrust of the plot for the book is that she needs to solve a murder that has taken place in New Haven. I think on campus even, a woman, Tara Hutchins, uh, has been murdered on campus and she is from the outside community. She's from the town of New Haven, but she's not a Yale University student, so um, she doesn't really get the sort of attention that would come with um, being Mm -hmm. a Yale student. And Alex wants to verify that the societies didn't have anything to do with this murder because it happened in like an auspicious location and on an auspicious date, and Alex suspects that there has been some type of foul play and these people that are in like a very high places of power may be trying to cover up that they actually were a part of this murder of this woman. Mm -hmm. And so that's the main thrust of the plot. But a lot of it is also just Alex trying to get her footing in this role and learn to harness her abilities and kind of keep a lot of plates spinning, like Mm -hmm. not fail out of Yale and not have dangerous things happen with magic that Mm -hmm. these college students have access to and um, trying to please the the people that are training her and things of that nature. Mm Mm-hmm. So some of the main things that I really like about Ninth House are that Alex Stern, our protagonist, is a very flawed character. She, you know, like I mentioned, she comes from a really rough background where she's been in a lot of bad situations over the course of her lifetime, and those bad situations have left very deep imprints on her personality. And so she really sticks out at Yale as, like, not polished, not, you know, she's not private school educated, she's not rich, she isn't like a lot of the students there, but a lot of her uh, experience also is an asset because she kind of knows how to hustle people, she knows how to be scrappy, she knows how to be assertive and kind of dives into this murder investigation in a way that someone without that background might be too timid to do. Mm -hmm. And I really like that she's so passionate about solving this murder that no one thinks is as important. And that really comes from like her background of like growing up a similar way and living in that world. And Mm -hmm. she's just surrounded by all these rich kids going to Yale and she's like the one person that's like, no, we have to know what happened to this person and it's wrong that they died and no one else cares because they're not rich, you know? Mm -hmm. Very much so, yeah. Like that is a reality that's not ignored in the world of the story. Um, Something else that I really like about Ninth House is that the magic system is very interesting. I love the premise that it's founded within the Yale secret societies, but I think the thought that Lee Bardugo put into it in terms of the different types of magic that each of those houses specializes in is, it's like really realistic in Mm -hmm. a way, like 
for example, Skull and Bones, like the most famous Yale secret society that has like spawned a lot of presidents and politicians. Like that's where I first heard of it. They in the world of the book are really skilled in prognostication, Mm -hmm. especially in terms of financial markets. And that makes perfect sense when it's mostly composed of a bunch of fucking rich people. So obviously that would be their specialty. But that um, ceremony for the prognostication depends on the use of like human organs Mm -hmm. in a living human. And so overseeing that sort of use of a living person is one of the functions that, you know, Lethe carries out. And so I really liked that uh, the magic system wasn't a completely fanciful thing that wasn't rooted in anything. It was very much rooted in kind of like believable extensions of, you know, those types of inner workings of like very exclusive upper echelon societies, if that makes sense. Yeah. I had in my notes also while we're on this note that the magic is like gross. It's not like pretty. (laughs) It's like they're digging around in people's guts. They're reanimating corpses to get information. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's not pretty Harry Potter, Accio broomstick. Like it's, it's gross and scary and i loved that about it i loved that it was like body horror and yeah just not pretty yeah 100 percent. i'm looking in my notebook right now and under positives i have just the word gross like <laughs> i love that yeah it's just fucking gross because that's how it is people are fucking gross yeah and power is used for gross things uh-huh. and i like that the machinery of this is gross and it's unflinching and it's like um yeah like getting ahead is fucking dirty work Mm -hmm. and they don't hide that in this book yeah and i just really loved that yeah i love that it's gross Mm -hmm. and it's just very much placed in the adult world but still adults that are you know college kids Uh, people are making decisions at a college level Mm -hmm. and it's very believable the the things that people are doing with the characters uh, within the story are making decisions the way that I think college kids would um, given these scenarios and I thought it was really interesting because I think Prior to this, Lee Bardugo was mostly like a YA author, mm-hmm. and this was her first entry into adult fiction. So uh, I think sh- she did a good job. It's definitely content for an adult audience, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the world and the magic system is really cool. Very consistent tone throughout. Just really creative backstories for Mm -hmm. all of the societies and the descriptions of their like headquarters their tombs all of that was really cool and i think like the final standout element i had was that the characters are really well done and 
even though they're all flawed in their own ways, you get really attached to a lot of the characters. So Alex Stern, she's like really rough around the edges and she can be kind of shitty, but you still like really root for her because you fully understand her. And it's cool because actually not the the entire book isn't fully from Alex Stern's perspective. Some of the chapters are also from Darlington, aka Daniel Arlington's perspective. He is another member of Lethe who is training Alex, and you get to see uh, his experience from his own perspective in some of the chapters, and it just gives you kind of a richer text about um, New Haven and Lethe and it's just fun to see, you know, what their interactions look like from his perspective versus Alex's perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think he's a really, um, just like a really likable, charismatic character. Mm-hmm. And it made it so that you just get like a really good balance of features of people to root for Mm -hmm. um, that are completely distinct and I really enjoyed both of those characters and and switching back and forth between their points of view one of the main defining qualities of Darlington is like his hunger for knowledge and his like hunger to understand the magic that they're using and his respect for it Mm -hmm. and I just think that is such a defining quality that it's it's just really interesting to see like how Alex perceives him and how he perceives Alex, but also mm-hmm. that he is the perfect person to be filling this like lethe role because he yeah. has such a respect for the power that is being wielded and he just feels the same need to like protect other people from it as well and make sure people are using it for the same good reasons. Or the yeah. at least, maybe not good reasons, but the appropriate reasons. The sanctioned reasons, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, because he's a really interesting character because on paper, he could be a person I wouldn't really like. Mm-hmm. Like, he's Ivy League all the way. Like, he's a New Haven native mm-hmm. who comes from a wealthy industrial family in the town and... Uh, you know, he's like a Yale person, mm-hmm. big time. And he has always been, you know, has always had the upper hand his whole life from the outside. Mm-hmm. But over the course of the book, you actually get a much more detailed view of the struggles that he's had, despite a lot of those privileges that he's grown up with. Mm-hmm. And you do see that he has a lot of personal fortitude Mm -hmm. and a very strong moral compass. And you really grow to respect Darlington as a character, despite a lot of those like superficial red flags that might turn you off at first. So I loved the way that um, his background and just his bearing in the current timeline really won me over to that character. For sure. Yeah, and I think another character that I really liked in Ninth House is the bridegroom, who was a ghost 
in the town from like one of those famous like New England murder cases from, you know, decades and decades ago. Um, he ends up playing, I think, like a pretty critical role in the investigation of the murder. Like he kind of is Alex Stern's co-lead detective for <laughs> some of the story, which is just really fucking cool conceptually that you have like a ghost helping you solve a murder. So I really liked his incorporation into the plot as well. I love the Borderlands scene. That's probably my favorite, yeah. Oh my god, that magic is so cool. That's like one of my favorite uses of magic. It's just so vivid. Like, I can picture it so vividly. Yeah. Um, that's probably my favorite scene from Ninth House is when Alex Stern, she um, purposefully dies to go to the Borderlands between worlds so that she can talk to the bridegroom and get some type of plans or information in place. Mm -hmm. But um, it was really, as you said, very vividly described. And I thought it was really awesome as a demonstration of like what lengths Alex would go to mm -hmm. to um, solve the case and try to, you know, do the actual role of protecting people that Lethe is meant to be doing. Yeah. I also love when she, like, kicks Salome's ass. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her. Yeah. There's a lot of really hateable characters. Yeah, those are my highlights. Do you have any other ones from Ninth House? Um, I really like that we get introduced to Dawes. Mm -hmm. Dawes plays the role of Oculus. And Oculus is basically just like a research assistant that works at Lethe, but is also a graduate student who is working on her dissertation. And over the course of Ninth House, Alex has to endear herself to Dawes and make Dawes trust her. And Dawes ends up in all of these shenanigans that she's not super comfortable with. Like, right. she has to kill Alex and like hold her underwater until Alex dies when she's trying to cross into the borderlands. And yeah. like, you wouldn't just trust anybody to do that, but no, Pammy, Pammy will, Pammy's got your back. Yeah. Um, and I just love like in ninth house, Pammy is the person who like knows the most about the magic and the rituals that need to be done. Um, in, like, very, very critical situations. Like, Alex almost dies, like, three or four times. And yeah. Dawes is the person who, like, knows what to do so that she doesn't die and is just, like, such a critical character for progressing the plot further. Um, and she just fits the grad school vibe really well. Yeah, Pamela Dawes, she plays her role really well. Like, she is a wealth of knowledge and kind of the voice of reason in contrast to Alex Stern's more like action now, questions later type uh -huh. approach. And I think they, they balance each other out really well. And so yeah. they make a good team. Um, and then I guess the only other thing that we need to kind of touch on before we move into Hellbent is the fact that Darlington goes missing in ninth house and right. 
this is a this is a spoiler, but you can't really get into talking about Hellbent at all unless you kind of touch on this. So True. he ends up getting sent to hell and turning into some kind of demon. And yeah. we end Ninth House understanding that and Alex is set on rescuing him from hell as we leave the plot of Ninth House. Correct. You know. Which is just a I fucking loved that was the close of the book because mm-hmm. like you have a you know Alex wraps up the murder investigation and that's a big victory but she also has gotten really fucked up a lot <laughs> along the okay. way and kind of won over Pamela Dawes and made friends made enemies but her biggest regret over the course of this entire thing has been that she let down Darlington when he was essentially like um ambushed and dragged into hell mm-hmm. and she didn't act in the moment and he's like her mentor like he's the mentor archetype mm-hmm. to a T and she let him down and doesn't know how to recover him. Uh-huh. And so we've already become very attached to Darlington. Like he fucking rocks. <laughs> and so at the close of the book, when she discovers where he is and what he is, it's, I immediately wanted the next book because uh-huh. I was like, we got to get Darlington back. Like we need him. Like, give me Darlington or give me death. Like, this is important. (laughs) And so then we waited three years, and now we have Hellbent. Mm -hmm. So Hellbent is the sequel to Ninth House, which came out earlier this month. Um, I got the date wrong before, and I don't remember it now. So it just came out (laughs) earlier in January of 2023. And I really loved this book. I devoured it. I like read it in two days and then I went back and reread Ninth House and then I went back and reread Hellbent (laughs) all within the span of like a week. Wow. Because that's how much I really, really loved this book. And I wasn't expecting to reread Ninth House because um, while I really enjoyed Ninth House, there were like certain parts that I didn't really want to reread, but I ended up rereading it and loving it with the additional context of everything you get in Hellbent. Hmm. And it like, I was really, I was actually really glad I read it in the order that I did and got to like re-experience Ninth House with the context of Hellbent. Um, I just... I really enjoyed that. And she did a really good job weaving in a lot of references to Ninth House that I didn't initially pick up on in my first read-through of Hellbent, but then on my second one, I was like, oh, yeah. So I really loved that. I guess I'll talk a little bit about plot first, but I don't want to get too far into it because I want to leave some open to for people to read and stuff like that. But... This book kind of covers the rescue of Darlington from hell and all of the um, different attempts at rescuing Darlington and a lot of the 
research components of mm-hmm. that. There is another like kind of murdery undertone to this book, which is good, but I don't think it was as good as the murder mystery in Ninth House. Um, so if I had any like weaknesses of this book, I think that the like I understand the purpose of the murder mystery, mm-hmm. but I just think that it could have been a little more exciting and interesting. Yeah, and it's not like foregrounded in this book. Like mm-hmm. the murder investigation isn't the A plot. Mm-hmm. The Hell Heist is the A plot of Hellbent. And so it's like mission The Hell Heist. I love that. The Hell Heist. <laughs> Baby rescuing Darlington is definitely the main objective of yes. Hellbent. Mm-hmm. The characters really shine through in Hellbent. Um, basically for the ritual that they are going to do, they need to find and collect four murderers to go through this ritual to get to hell, go through the gauntlet to get to hell. So when they're, they're doing this, they, um, have Alex who has committed murder, then Dawes, Pamela Dawes had to kill someone in self-defense the year prior. And then um, they also recruit Turner, who plays the role of Centurion, who is basically a like police detective liaison with Lethe House. So like if Lethe is involved in any kinds of crimes that reach out into the real world, then or not Lethe, if like Yale's secret societies are involved in any kind of crime that reaches the outside of Yale's campus, then Centurion is kind of the liaison with the police department to kind of handle the magical side of things. And we knew Turner from mm-hmm. Ninth House because he was like that actual like <laughs> legitimate person <laughs> investigating the Tara Hutchins murder mm-hmm. and he was often at odds with Alex because she was kind of like fucking up his case because mm-hmm. he's obviously trying to run an investigation that will yield uh, an actual conviction mm-hmm. and so they were had like an adversarial pseudo adversarial relationship in Ninth House mm-hmm. um, and so I really liked getting to learn more about Detective Turner Mm -hmm. and his backstory and just him as a character in Hellbent once he gets kind of like wrapped up in the the gauntlet scheme. Yes. Yeah. And then quite possibly my favorite uh, like side character from (laughs) this book that they recruit for this mission is Trip Hellsmith. And oh my god. Trip is just a joy. He's like this kind of rich boy that like smokes a lot of pot and plays a lot of video games and just has like a a broy vibe. Very broy. You could you could hang out with him. I had a friend in college who I picture when I read <laughs> Trip's character. Uh, like I can just like picture everything about this person and like he's the kind of person where like he gets high and he just like ruffles your hair and like just it's just like a bro and you play mortal Kombat on the futon and vibe it's fantastic (laughs) he wears vineyard vines and (laughs) has boat shoes Mm -hmm. and 
you go to his house to watch him play The Last of Us because he's the only one that has a gaming console because <laughs> he's rich, obviously, and he's just like a frat bro. Mm-hmm. That's Trip Helmuth, basically. But it's incredible. Yeah. He's ugh, such a fucking joy. And you, like, he just, you meet him tangentially in the first book, but, like, you yeah. don't get to know him. Another character that really gets to shine in this book is Mercy, Alex's mm-hmm. roommate. And Alex kind of has to loop her in on everything that's going on. And she ends up being kind of like a guard for them in the real world because they send their souls to hell, not their bodies. (laughs) And basically, you have to make sure that the bodies are fine. And so she ends up playing like a really important role in this book, but also like she's incredibly smart and excellent at all things leafy like she Mm -hmm. is great at doing all of the research and she's naive and sweet and cares about alex and protects her and i just i really love her character especially after the previous book where something like pretty traumatic happens to her and is in is related to the magic like I love seeing her understand this world and feel like she has more control over this world. And I just, I just really loved her. She's such a good character. Yeah, I was also really happy that she played a bigger part in this Mm -hmm. book because she was one of the only people that took the time to get to know and try to help Alex Mm -hmm. in Ninth House. And I loved seeing her have more agency in this book and based on you know what we knew about her from ninth house it made complete sense that her character would really take to Lethe Mm -hmm. and be adept in that role and so I really liked that seamless transition between being like a really scholarly person in the real world and then learning about the magic elements of the societies in Mm -hmm. this book like i thought that was seamless and really well done and i'm really happy that she got like more heavily incorporated into the plot yeah yeah i think that was a really huge strength of this book was just Mm -hmm. like fleshing out all of the characters Hold on. I'm trying to think of if I need to, like, split certain things into, like, a spoiler category for the end. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be slight spoilers from here on out, but not, like, deliberate ones. I'm, okay. I have to reveal some parts of the plot um, because I want to talk about other things. We definitely don't get as much Darlington as I would prefer in this mm-hmm. book. I was very cranky about it <laughs> because I am very attached to this boy. But what we do get of Darlington, I really enjoyed. I basically there's like a intermediate stage of getting Darlington back where like we're able to chat with him a little bit, but not able to like fully free him. <laughs> And I have to know what you thought of the glow stick dick. Yeah. (laughs) I laughed when I read that. I was like, oh, that's different. (laughs) 
That's a yeah, choice. It is a choice. <laughs> it is a choice. I don't know if it was a necessary choice. I don't think it was. But I will say that once, like, real Darlington returns, like, mm-hmm. not demon form, not like, I guess I don't even have the language to just describe which form of Darlington was in, like, the circle of protection, but mm-hmm. towards the end of the book, when, you know, non-bifurcated Darlington is back <laughs> in his, like, most complete form, uh-huh. um, I really, really liked the sexual tension between oh my him God. and Alex Stern, because there was, like, a hint of that. It was so subtle. That was exactly House. what I was going to get into, yeah. It was really, I liked it a lot in Ninth House, but it mm-hmm. was very... It wasn't front and center, and I like that that is um, a little bit more obvious. A little bit. A little bit, yeah. It's Teeny bit. <laughs> it's still not, like, front and center, but mm-hmm. they have, uh, like, a conversation in his quarters in Il Bastone, mm-hmm. I think. And yes, that was probably my favorite part of the book. Because it was just, like, the most apparent sexual tension between those two characters. Yeah. And I really enjoy that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. A predilection for first editions and women who like to lecture me about myself. Exactly. I can't I believe that. <laughs> knew that offhand. That was incredible. But yeah, uh, that's the best line of the book. So fucking good. I love the readers for the audiobooks. If you are into audiobooks, these are some of the best audiobook narrators that I have found. Um, I'll shout them out. Lauren Fortgang and Michael David Axtell um, are the narrators for Ninth House and Hellbent. They have the same narrators for both yeah i love that once darlington comes back he gets point of view chapters Mm -hmm. again because i wasn't sure how they were gonna handle that in hellbent because in ninth house the structure of time is um broken up so that you get kind of almost alternating point of view Mm mm-hmm chapters between Alex and Darlington and I was like I'm gonna really miss Darlington's chapters and how then if we're not if he's like in some yeah like far off realm but yeah once he returns to New Haven he gets POV chapters again which was really satisfying yeah chapters 38 through the end have been like my comfort like listening to on audible chapters so like whenever i'm just like doing something i'll just like put those chapters on and re-listen to them but yeah i i didn't feel like i got enough darlington but what we did get was really nice the sexual tension was awesome there's like a scene from alex's perspective where he is like speaking to somebody but his hand is like lingering on her back And I think about that a lot and like the subtlety (laughs) of that, just like casual mention of that by the author. But Mm -hmm. I am really excited for book three because the team, the gang's all here and we're going (laughs) to get some resolution. Yeah. And I need resolution. I thought the like tech in this book was another highlight. Like I really liked the 
um, I forget what they call them. Salt somethings. Right. They're like, um, like totems a, or something, but like a it's not a totem. totem yeah. Some sort. But basically they like have this tech that, um, each person gets like their own representative animal or plant mm-hmm. and the salt will like form that animal and it will attack demon based presences, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was really cool. I'm excited to kind of see where the demon type plot lines go. The demons were really interesting in this book. Mm-hmm. And I didn't hate the way they incorporated vampires into the book. Um, I, know, I was a little was, skeptical. But I was surprised. Yeah, I was a little skeptical, but I think it's I think it's interesting and it works. So I was pleased. The showdown at the vampires' mansion I thought was pretty scary. Yeah, that was neat. I liked that because it was. Um, uh, kind of like another level mm-hmm. of weird shit that Alex doesn't have experience with. Because mm-hmm. she's getting some facility with, like, the ghost world and all that. Yeah. Now that she has a better understanding of the rules. Um, but she was completely unprepared for vampires to exist. Yeah. And so that represents, like, a larger challenge now. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that will play a bigger role down the line. But yeah, I thought that guy was really fucking scary. Mm -hmm. And then my last point from this book is that I really liked Cosmo, the cat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You find out some things about Cosmo and that he's like a fucking 70-year-old cat or something. I know. I think we're going to learn more about Cosmo in the future as well. I'm very excited to learn more about Cosmo. He's a very good boy. And he loves Darlington so much. I don't know. I just feel like you, like, learn so much more about all the characters. They're really lovely characters, and you just don't want to leave that world because they work so well together, and they're such, like, a wonderful crew. Mm -hmm. So I just had a lot of fun reading Hellbent. Did you like it more than Ninth House? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Did you? No. Yeah. Which fits for our dynamic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I certainly liked it as a continuation of the story, Mm -hmm. and I already touched on a lot of the, like, character expansions I enjoyed. Yeah. Um, I didn't think it was quite as tonally consistent as Ninth House. Like, Ninth House was consistently dark and gritty and gross Mm -hmm. and challenging and there was like a little bit of a more touch of lightness in Hellbent Mm -hmm. like with the salt um, protection things that you referenced I kind of didn't like those um, Uh. specifically I found them slightly too whimsical and I was like, yeah. these tonally don't tonally don't fit in my imagining of this world. Like they're a little yeah. bit too convenient, they're a little bit too whimsical. But other than that, I still certainly liked the book. I just yeah. 
I, I don't want the stakes to go away, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And that's why I like the introduction of the vampire character, because mm-hmm. he was, like, basically uh, impossible to beat. And So far. So far. But that's where I think he'll be back again, obviously. Yeah. And, yeah, like, I don't ever want the magic system to be overly convenient. Other than that... I, I didn't really have any many complaints. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I was very pleased. Mm-hmm. But I think like the character expansion is really what did it for me. Like, yeah, I was so attached to all of the characters here, and I was like, I just love all of my friends. Yeah, and I could have used more Darlington too. Mm-hmm. You, I think you're right about that. Yeah, I liked what we did get. For sure. And yeah. I'm very excited for what we're going to get in book three. Yeah, I'm excited for him to be, like, back in his Virgil role again. Mm-hmm. Like, back in his element. Yeah. Yeah, but Alex is so competent now that I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic to kind of play around with. Yeah. But yeah, I hope Dawes gets to defend her PhD. <laughs> Me too. Jesus Christ. Uh, I hope that we don't have to wait four years in between books this time. I was listening to an interview that Lee did, and she was like, yeah, it's really different to publish adult fiction because in young adult fiction, it's like, come on, like, get the next book out one year, like, let's go. And that makes sense, right? Because when you're a kid and you're reading a book, you're a totally different person four years later. And yeah. so if you want to sell books to people uh, who are reading them, clearly you've got to like have a really nice clip going. That makes total sense. But I, listen, I'm going to be a different person in four years, Lee. I need Darlington now. Yeah, Lee, come on. Did I dream that um, she is conceptualizing this as a five book series? You're not. That's what her interviews after the release of the first one were, but now I think it's just going to be a trilogy as far as I've heard. Okay. I know that we're at least confirmed for one more, but I would not complain if we got five. Right. I I just want it to be the appropriate size for the story. <laughs> like, yeah. do whatever number of books you want, Lee. Like, mm-hmm. as long as it... Don't drag it out for the sake of more books. Just yeah. trim it to the size of the story. Yeah. And I think one more book could really, like, round out this this general plot, you know? So. Yeah. Or you could do four and have one for each academic year. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Will Alex graduate? Who knows? Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice and we'll see you back here same place next week. Bye for now.